Netflix's new anime, Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, Courts Controversy. This series is the latest accused of pulling a bait and switch. But is this show all woke and no substance? Find out in today's episode of Breaking Geek Radio. That was Joseph Jammer Medina. I am Brandon Jones, and this is our United Podcast of whatever. We're going to talk about Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. I'm super excited to talk about this uh, because as a fan of the video game and the film, and I've read some of the comic book, this is going to be, I think it's going to be fun. This is going to be a good time. If, you, if you're watching yeah. the video, you can see my shirt. Um, I'm all in. I'm all in, baby. Uh, was that a Scott uh, Pilgrim the, shirt? I did not recognize that. It is that. a Scott Pilgrim shirt. Oh, um, okay. Cool. So we're going to do something a little different here. Um, we're going to jump primarily into spoilers. Um, we're going to give our letter grades, non-spoiler, but just here's an interesting thing. Rotten Tomatoes score has changed. I don't think I've seen a shift like this since we've done the show. So yeah. the tomato meter for the critics has stayed relatively the same. It's a 90, 98, 98-ish percent. Um, it was at a 79% for the audience score. And then just as of today, maybe, I haven't looked at it since we started. Uh, Probably over the past couple of days. Past couple of days. It has gone yeah, up. I think so. It's a it's it's a swing to eighty seven percent or a flip flop of the numbers, um, and so I, I think that's kind of fascinating. I feel like I'm watching uh, poll numbers on in November, so it's almost like election season. It's kind of fun. So stick around, find out whether or not we agree with that. Uh, Jammer, would you like to give your spoiler reviews uh, of this film first? Yeah. So let's talk all about me and my opinion. So Scott Pilgrim takes off is a bold new take on the Scott Pilgrim story that both builds on and enriches the comic and film that came before it, making it something that stands completely on its own alongside its predecessors, in my opinion. We could talk about that later. The animation is gorgeous. The voice cast is thoroughly entertaining. And we have a story that digs deeper into uh, into each of the characters more than its counterparts, making it a tale that fits in very well for the 2020s landscape. The only real downside for me is it has some pacing, pacing issues, drawn out fight scenes and some plot divergence that make it occasionally feel like filler um but other than that i thought it was a good time i give it a solid a minus yeah i was going to ask you uh, so i didn't read your review and i was going to ask you what the difference was between an a and an a minus and i think we're about the same so in my opinion scott pilgrim takes off it's a beautiful sequel to the scott pilgrim saga uh, what i love about this is that it works as a sequel to either the comic book or the film um, and I wasn't expecting time travel, but it was a pleasant surprise that allows them to be able to play in both worlds. And what's really cool about it is not only is original cast back, but you get to see them play and do different things with their voices. So you get to see how uh, Chris Evans and Michael Sarah just find different registers for their characters. And so that was a lot of fun, um, especially because I felt like they were able to find registers that were more befitting uh, anime characters um, as mm. if fan of the original soundtrack i was happy to hear remixes of the songs that i really enjoyed and in addition new songs uh to the soundtrack that i get to listen to now overall i think this sequel really takes advantage of the changing in the medium uh where they use anime fights to their full dynamic range um and the episodes rather in this format rather than the film allow them to explore different characters and their backgrounds that we wouldn't otherwise have gotten to do so yeah, I love delving into the backstories. I think this is a romp, um, and it, fans of the franchise should not miss this. So if I had one knock against this series, though, no vegan police. 
Um, I was a really big fan of the vegan police from the film, man, just absolutely hilarious. Um, that was Thomas Jane and, uh, the other guy's name is jumping out of my head. I can see his face. Um, but they were a lot of fun. So I was disappointed not to have him back. But other than that, Hmm. I said he was, yeah, he was I, in Pacific Rim. I can, I can't I can see him. I'll look uh, up. He was in Boondock Saints. He was in Pacific Rim. Like I can see his face. I can hear his voice. It's kind of annoying. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with your score. A minus. I agree with the pacing issues. Um, but I was a fan. I did like the fight scenes. I didn't feel like there was too. I didn't feel like they were drawn. There are out. a couple that really drawn out for me. Like, so first of all, the pacing issues for me, the big one I felt was on the movie set. I'm like, we didn't need two episodes on that. I felt like it was too long. And also, <laughs> Lucas Lee's fight with a paparazzi. That thing dragged on forever. Oh my god. It was god. so fun though. I guess. But anyways, I that, those were a couple of those that lot. I felt. Yeah. Okay. Well, Cliff, anyways, look, we're not here Collins just to talk Jr. about Jr. Thank you. Clifton Collins Jr. He was I also in I've never um, heard that name before. Really? He was also in a 2009 Star Trek. He was um Eric Bana's second in command. He was one of the uh one of the Romans. Okay. Romulan, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so we're not here just to talk about our opinions. We're here to talk about the internet's opinions. So as Jonesy said, uh, a week ago and up until a couple days ago, the Rotten Tomato score was there was there was more of a disparity. It was like in the 78, 79% or so audience score versus a 98 to 100% critic score. And there, there, there's a reason about this. There was a Rotten Tomatoes discrepancy, as I would call trademark. And essentially, I wanted to know why. And lo and behold, based on what happens in this story, you know, which is kind of a quote unquote bait and switch, which we'll get into a little bit more. Uh, well, we'll just get into it now. Specifically, Scott Pilgrim is presumed killed off in the first episode. They did a He Man. It's about. They did a He-Man, and it's about Ramona finding out what happened to Scott. And people didn't like that. There were some freakouts. I got some some Twitter threads that I dove down just because I like pain. And uh, yeah, so here's a few of them up here. It's one of them says, "Fans of the Scott Pilgrim or a fan of the Scott Pilgrim books in 2010 film, then skip Netflix's modern adaptation. Scott Pilgrim takes off." Scott gets killed off in the first episode and it becomes a reimagining with Ramona facing off against her exes. Don't recommend two out of 10. Someone follows up saying, so they're committed on losing their fan base. And then the other person replied back and exponentially doubled down with each episode so far. And then someone replied also to her original tweet or their original tweet, two out of 10. What did you get 10 or what, what did you, what it did? Well, what did it what do it to, to get two points? Yeah. And uh, they said, oh, I like the animation style and Anna Managuchi's music. I will give it a point for at least trying to uh, to add more love to Scott and Ramona's relationship, too. Uh, there's more, a little bit more. And that is, why is it even called Scott Pilgrim in the first place? And the response is, because much like everything else these days, Netflix knew it would hook in hardcore fans by slapping the name on it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and stop there with regards to... yeah all of those because i think that's something we'll we'll talk about later with regards to it's Kyle Scott Pilgrim what does that mean da, 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 da. but we'll dig more into that later but first what was your reaction to reading all these jonesy uh i thought it was interesting uh because scott pilgrim as far as i know it like i don't know anyone that doesn't like the film but 
you wouldn't know that looking at the box office receipts. I, I'd have to pull it up, but I know that the film did not do well in the theater. Oh, it flopped hard. Um, it, it flopped, flopped hard. hard. It was everyone was shocked. The, the you know the filmmaker the the studio was like had so much faith in it. Everyone loved it, and then I don't. No one came to see it. No one yeah. came to see it. It, it it's a great film. I saw it in the theater day one. Like I, I remember seeing the trailer. Oh, I was like, that's, it made forty nine million worldwide. Right, forty nine million. Do you know what its worldwide. budget was? I'm trying to find that for you guys right now. Give me a bit. Cool. But so what I find fascinating about it is these people who are hardcore fans of the thing. Um, you would think that they would at least understand why they would want to try something different, right? So you got to give people enough. You're going to put money into this thing. You're going to make something new. And it would seem weird that Netflix would just throw money down a hole without at least trying something different. So I, I find that to be really kind of fascinating and disingenuous when somebody says something like, oh, they're committed to losing their fan base. It's like, what fan base? What fan base? Like, <laughs> like I, I get it. It's like Firefly is like, out there hurting right now. I, yeah, I get that there are people that Snyder really, Bros. really like it, and they're really passionate, and they're really loud, um, but there aren't enough of them. So, yeah. Well, at least there weren't back then. Whether or not this movie has made enough on, on DVD streaming uh, uh, VOD rentals to make up for yeah. that, we don't know because that those numbers are never revealed to us, but it's possible. Which maybe that's why this think, remake happened in the first place. But I think it is sufficient to say that it has become a cult classic since then. I don't know what that means sure. number wise, but I think it means enough that Netflix was able to look at the fan base and see how it has grown over the last 13 years and say, like, you know what? We will at least invest in something with regard to this property. Yeah. So what is Scott Pilgrim takes off? That's the next big question. It, it's we know it's not a standard adaptation of comics, even though that's kind of what many of us thought it would be. It's not an adaptation of the film. Is it a remake? Uh, it's kind of a mix between a remake and a sequel because of the fact that you know it seems like oh it's a it's a multiversal take on what would happen if he lost that first fight, Scott. But it, it also is kind of a sequel once you start bringing the time travel aspect into it. You realize it's kind of a continuation of that, which I think is really awesome. So. I guess that's the expectation fuck. going in is at this at this point is that it's a it can be seen for me. I like to I think it's both a sequel and a reimagining. I think it could actually be watched in any order from the movie or the show. I think either one is fine. Either one in each order kind of enriches the other. And because of the time travel element, it kind of is cyclical in a way. Yeah, and, and that's the other awesome. kind of fascinating thing about about the the fans that are really upset about this is like the thing that you love, be it the book or the film, neither is disturbed by this, right? Like that's the part that I find kind of fascinating about. Like you're so angry that they changed this thing, but it's not like Star Wars. It's not like anything like that. They haven't taken anything from you. They have completely left undisturbed the thing that you love. So give it a chance. So, I mean, here's the problem with that, I would say, is that people, they want to see the thing they love adapted in motion. And now they will never, they don't they, they don't expect to see the actually legit adaptation of the comic adapted in motion in cartoon format, anime format. And I think that's probably there were like five one of thing them. that is like, yeah, yeah, I know, it's true. But what does the show do, do throughout the course of, of this move about the show? I think it does a lot. Like... It, frankly, it's more progressive. It gives Ramona personality. It gives her agency for the first time, which she has zero in the movie. No offense other than being kind of dry. 
It focuses more on the female characters in general and becomes ultimately less of a male fantasy, you know, not in like a creepy way, but kind of in a way. No, but it was definitely um, like a man child uh, meets Pixie Dream Girl. Like that was the thing, yes. especially with a Michael yes. Cera film. It's, it's amazing some of the shifts that they do, or even in episode one, that make a difference where it's like they make they make Ramona less aloof and they make her a little bit more like, oh, you want to go on a date with me? More like awkward. And um, I don't know. It just it's you under you it's not it's not much it's not at all like oh why is she dating him it's more like oh okay she kind of likes him that's the difference I get between the movie and the animated show which I think was interesting so this essentially you know with that as well as the rest of the show makes this more of an update for the new decade we live in or it's woke as we call it as people love to throw that word around woke so as you all can tell. We think it kind of rises above just being, you know, woke for woke sake, as they call it. I think it's a show, like you said, builds on the strengths of its predecessor and allows for an alternate retelling that has different strengths. And for me, I think it's interesting. I think of this as a writer. I can imagine Brian Leo Malley, the original author, looking at this and being like, whew, I think I'm actually better at writing, you know, stories that can center around female characters now let me let's go ahead and try that again and see if i could do that and then he's able to do that another 15 years later or so or 13 years later 10 years later and i just think it's it's cool it's it gives him another chance at another draft of the story which is very unique and very fun um i don't know any comments on that no i i I'm not a writer, but I could imagine the idea of attacking this from a different perspective. If it's a story that he truly loves and it seems like it is that it, it, it being a very exciting thing to do, uh, because to your point about giving Ramona more agency, it, it isn't just agency that we got. It is a, a revelation for her about, you know, they always say that in your relationships, you know, the common denominator is you. So she gets to see all of the bad things that she's done in her relationship. You know, Scott is is a prick and he's done bad things. And if you if you read the comic book to the end, um, you see even in the last chapter, he's still like uh, last volume. He's still doing really bad things. Um, and while Ramona doesn't rise to the same level, O'Malley does get to show us, you know, where she was at fault in her own relationships. Um, and I like that it makes her a more rounded character and it makes her more fun. And you get to see like, maybe these characters, uh, I don't want to say deserve each other. I don't want to say that in a bad way, but they grow. They both manage to grow based on the bad, thing, the bad things that they've done. And you get to see like, maybe they've grown to a place where they can be together. Yeah. Um, and I remember being so excited as I was watching the show, it took me literally the three episode rule to realize oh this is what the show is because the first episode when scott you know is presumed dead i'm just like uh okay well he's gonna come back somehow and then we'll continue on like normal and then the second episode happened i'm like man they're really leaning into this funeral thing they actually think he's dead why are they playing this out so long and then the third episode happened i'm like oh ramona is the main character that is awesome and literally it's about her not just defeating but getting closure with her exes which is brilliant it's so cool and I just thinking like in my mind, I'm like, oh, my God, the character arcs are going to be so good. And they really were. But I guess here's the question. Of course, things have picked up on the audience side of things. But still initially, based on what we've seen online, based on the Internet buzz, something went awry. 
so what was it? What went what went wrong here in terms of I guess the connection with the audience? So I mean we could talk about marketing a little bit. I will say, you know, a lot of it did seem to skew a lot towards this is a Scott Pilgrim adaptation, like an adaptation, like a true adaptation of the actual material. So for me, I'm just thinking about that first trailer, which seemed to hint at a normal story. Um, Scott Pilgrim's name in the title. I know I want to circle back to that really quick. To me, and I just want to address this, two things. A, Scott Pilgrim for me is the brand, not just the main character. That This is the Scott Pilgrim world. So it's the brand. It's not specifically him. It's everyone in Scott Pilgrim. Uh, two, every single review, every single conversation I've seen, I feel like Scott Pilgrim is the least popular part. And all of a sudden people are acting like he's the best thing in the world. It's really, it's very funny to see that switch happen. But let's talk about the marketing. Um, would this have done better if they were really overt about this being Ramona Flowers' story? If they were honest about it and open about it? Yeah, right from the beginning. No, no, I don't think it would have. No, um, I, well, when you say done better, what do you mean? Done better with the people that are criticizing it? Would they have felt Less differently backlash. about it? Probably. Um, I, I think to some extent, but I think that there also would have been that same crowd of folks that would have said, oh, I would still want a Scott Pilgrim proper adaptation. They would have been upset that they didn't get the thing that they want, um, which is sure. that straight up adaptation of the six volume comic. And, you know, I agree with you that this is Netflix's fault from the perspective of everything that we saw looked like an adaptation of uh, Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life, which is that that volume. Um, I'm sorry, that first volume of the book. So while I understand that they changed the subtitle. And if you really dig into um, the interviews that were happening before this came out, like you would have some hint of what was coming. And to be fair, like this is the other thing when I say like this isn't like I love the property, but it's not massive, like critical cultural success, because had this been a Marvel property, people would have torn apart that subtitle. You would have seen like six, seven, twelve, you know, YouTube videos. What does that mean? What does this mean? And we're going to get that has to mean something. And then they would have incorporated those interviews from Edgar Wright and O'Malley, and people would have surmised that what we were going to get was not a straight adaptation. So we were already on notice. Um, mm. And so I just think that speaks to the lack of um, engagement with the fandom generally. Like you just can't beat Reddit. You. I, I, you're laughing, but like you, you can't beat no, Reddit, right. right? It's, it's just a giant right. hive mind, and they just would have yeah. torn it apart to try to understand what this meant and what it was about. And because they didn't do that, now they're mad. So, yeah. and and I know for me, I always hate when trailers. It, if they had revealed it, people would say like, "Oh, they gave it away in the trailer. Yeah. They gave away the twist in the trailer." That would have been a huge thing, and that's happened in the past. I know Terminator Two. That was a huge thing that they got. Yeah. They they revealed that the T one thousand was the real villain. Imagine if they didn't do that. That would have been so cool. Granted, I yeah, I, don't, I wasn't. I didn't see it in theaters or anything. But just the idea behind it, I can imagine. Yeah, I was gonna say I was ten when I saw before. it, and I didn't like. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know either. I was like, oh my god, he's good now. What's happening? Um. Anyway, so Kyle, can you do me a favor and can you play the at least a, a section the of the final footage. trailer? 
of uh, the, the show. And this is the final trailer. And what I think is interesting is this came out and I remember thinking to myself, huh, this is oddly Ramona centric. It really is all about her perspective. And then she's like, uh, with Aubrey Plaza's character, Julia's just like, it was just one date. How good could it have been? She's like, great. And then it has a thing that says, girl meets boy and this and that. And at the very end, it shows Ramona standing in front of Scott, kind of defending him. And then it says, Scott Pilgrim takes off. I'm like, oh, I, they kind of weren't, they were hiding in plain sight with this one. It was right there. And to dig more into what you talk about, talked about with regards to the interviews, Edgar Wright, one of the executive producers, the director of the original 2010 film, said it's e it's neither an adaptation of the books nor an animated version of the film. It's almost an alternate reality sequel. He said it right there. The show gets to be in conversation with the original books and the film adaptation. It's both true to the source of the comics and commenting on them and on the film at the same time. How did it. we not see said this the thing. get shared all over the place prior to the release of this anime how did because that happen? five of them they're five of them and no one engages with them on yeah. twitter anyway it's it's clear to me that it, it's a mix of yeah maybe there's a couple marketing pieces that were hiding hiding the the secret so to speak but there were other parts that weren't really hiding it um but regardless i think it's clear that you and i both enjoyed what this show had to do um I do want to talk a little bit more about other sort of quote unquote bait and switches in media and how this ties into that. But before we do that, is there anything else that you want to talk about with regards to the show and its overall strengths, things you liked or things you had uh, critical thoughts on? No, I, I really just think that it it's a, it's a fun romp. Um, and if you open your heart to it, like if you just, if you let yourself be surprised, which I think is probably the biggest problem with some of the folks that were upset about it, then I can't imagine we'll talk, you would we'll have, talk about that. I can't imagine you would have a problem with it. I, I do think this, this is one thing I wrote in my notes as I thought about this, not for knowledge of what's going to happen. Like if you're a person who watched a movie or read a comic book, you know, that knowledge is currency in the nerd community. And once you take that away, they're just like everybody else. And I think that that bothers people. Um, I think there is something that makes people feel slightly superior about having the knowledge of what's going to happen. And I liken that to, you know, um, it's not the same thing as foreknowledge, but it's, it is the knowledge of understanding something. It's that very opening scene in Barbie, right? It's that, that trap, another bait where they're like, Hey, it's 2001, a space odyssey. And all the men get to look at their women and like, Hey, this happened. So I think it is, it's very fascinating to me. And I think that the, the lack of being able to know what is going to happen next is part of what bothered some people. I know we'll dig back into that in a bit, but let's go ahead and shift the conversation to other quote-unquote bait-and-switches in not just Hollywood, but in media in general. And I, I want to first start with the definition of what does bait-and-switch mean. You know what? I found a source, the unlikeliest of sources that I feel like matches closest to what people think of but still not quite. A bait and switch, according to Investopedia, is a scam to mislead buyers, whereby a seller advertises an appealing but ingenuine offer to sell a product or service that the seller does not actually intend to sell. The seller, or instead the seller, offers a subpar defective or unwarranted, excuse me, unwanted alternative. So 
most of that I feel like is relatively accurate. It's the, the last part that doesn't quite match up with regards to Scott Pilgrim. It's not inferior. It's not subpar. I guess maybe you can argue that it's unwanted, but I don't know. I, I think that's a, I think there's a lot of wiggle room within that definition there. But anyways, let's ignore that. And now I want to talk to you about other quote unquote bait and switches throughout media. Can you name a few that you think of when someone says bait and switch for something that you've loved? So I can go in order of the things that made me upset. And there are two that jump out at me. Metal Gear Solid 2 um, was one, probably one of the first ones that I was just like genuinely upset. Um, I spent the majority of that game, like this sounds insane, like waiting for you to become solid. No, I did too. I did too. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I was, and and part of it is goes to the definition she put up there. Like, I did not like riding. I was not into him. Um, it's like it's really weird. Like you, you've gone from like this really cool, tough military character to like this effeminate anime boy with blonde hair character. I'm like, I, this isn't what I signed up for. Um, and then the other one was Iron Man three. And I was older when this happened, so I was less upset. But the trailers made it seem like it was taking on a darker tone um it was a more serious film you had shane black so i had kind of a a, a a different expectation of what we were going to get but that wasn't even the real bait and switch of that film it wasn't just the tone it was the mandarin as well so it was like a it was like a twofer and so that made it slightly more bothersome that i i was enticed to go see it based on them taking a more serious a darker tone especially after not being a fan of iron man 2 and then uh, just being upset uh, by what happened. So, yeah. Yeah, I got a couple that come to mind. Uh, I, w- I mentioned Terminator 2, Judgment Day already with regards to uh, the T-500, right? Yeah, not being 1, a bad guy and the T-1000 being the bad guy. So it's 800, 800? and okay. 1000. Yeah. I'm a fake Terminator fan. Um, anyway, so oh, that was a big twist. I remember it blew my mind as a kid. Um Another one that comes to mind is Scream, the original one, where in all the advertising, Drew Barrymore was like seen as like the main character, and then she was killed off in the opening scene. That's crazy. Like, I wonder what fandom fan would think nowadays. Like, I've, if that were to come out, oh my god, I've got one. I I, I wonder if Jonesy's seen this. Maybe maybe you have Jammer, uh, Steven Seagal, uh, being uh, oh yeah, center for we talked about that decision. one. We talked about yeah, that. So yeah, Jeremy yeah. and I talked about that. He was like, what was the switch? I was like, he died like the first five fast. <laughs> or or would you consider this... would you consider Deadpool 2's X Force a bait and switch? Nah, I don't know about that. I think nah, we expected more of a big it. joke. Yeah. I the weird thing was it was I didn't expect you know, executive that. decision. I did not expect I like that. executive decision because it it stands out to me as one where they did this thing. And again, being as young as I was. Like I had seen Steven Seagal movies, but I wasn't like, man, I can't wait to see the Steven Seagal movie. And then when he died, me so. being upset for the rest of the movie, huh? What? No, go ahead. I just don't like Steven Seagal. He's, I don't, I never understood him. Well, at the time, he was a huge action star, right? The, what year was this? Like ninety four, ninety six. Under Siege, yeah. man, come yeah. on. Dark My territory first movie was Under Siege Two, Dark Territory. Okay, yeah. I, I, I love me some Steven Seagal, but looking Casey back, fucking Ryback, awful movies awful all of them are terrible sorry you just don't like cooks anyway um i i think executive decision stands out to me as one where the thing that you got was still fantastic and i remember 
I'm if I can if I'm remembering the trailer correctly, they show you the scene where he dies. Um, but we didn't they don't know show he him dies, f- right? But they're like, we're not gonna make it. And he's like, you will, and he closes the door, and he dies five oh. seconds later. Um, and so I, you know, that was a good one. That was that was a really good. You one. know, there was a fan out there who just like saw the trailer and he was just like, oh, how badass is it to be like you will <laughs> two out of ten, and then still you survive, and still you survive. That'd be so if you're cool. A fan of the Wait, executive decision book. Isn't he surviving? He's he's coming back any second now. Any second now. No. That was me playing Metal it's Gear. It's like Daredevil, Daredevil and Inco waiting for the portals to open at the <laughs> end of Endgame and it never showing up. It's like that meme. Anyway, another one that comes to mind for me. On your you can let me Wait, know. What? Couldn't hear. <laughs> you could let me know if this is a bait and switch. The Last Jedi and uh, Ray's parents being nobody. Is that a bait and switch to you? No. No. No? That, so I guess that was behind the, the scenes fuckery. Another one that comes to mind is... Oh, you're not uh, even going to take that bait? No, it's fine. Uh, Madoka Magica, because I want to move on. I have things to say. Uh, Madoka Magica, the, the anime, is a series that, is, that was advertised as a happy-go-lucky magical realist... Magical realist. Magical girl show. Um, kind of like Sailor Moon or in the vein of Sailor Moon. And then it wasn't until episode three aired that all of a sudden the true nature of the show became revealed and then everything kind of changed going forward. That is a bait and switch. But at what point does something become a twist and not just a bait and switch? So I think that's the question I have for you. I think it is what we are told is the audience versus what happens just on the screen right I, I think it's 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 mostly about marketing what is the thing that got you into the theater um or or to watch the thing that i think is yeah. what makes it a bait and switch versus a twist so i think madoka magica that was certainly a bait and switch like in that respect can you imagine all of like oh my god i can't wait for a new magical girl show to play That's and it. then three minute episodes in things change and then it I mean, Kyle might be or I never heard of it before you made me watch it. So I can't even like I, I have no feels about that as fair. a bait and switch. I know you were waiting. Episode three, you're like during episode three, you're just like, when does this saccharine bullshit become interesting? Oh yeah. What's happening? Yeah, I remember that. But it wasn't based yeah. on what I was shown in advertising. You were the only advertiser that I was concerned about. Like, what the fuck are you making me watch? So I guess you talked, you touched on something that I think makes sense. And that has to do with what got you in seat and then what you ultimately got. And I think that does drive factors here. So for me, it's all about expectations. And those expectations are heightened with an established IP, which sir goes back to your previous point with regards to the currency of knowledge of nerd culture. The more you are steeped in something, the more you think you know what you're going to expect and are invested in that expectation being carried out on, the more you're likely to be hurt when something doesn't line up magically. And magically, that's weird. Magically. I was wait, I didn't know if you did that on yeah. purpose. No, didn't do that on purpose. Uh, but it, when it doesn't line up, there's like there's this whole there's this gap and it's infuriating. This gap is just the worst thing ever. And I think that does actually kind of I, I kind of ex- like when I started analyzing this, I have a specific perspective, but I feel like there's even a discrepancy between my personal opinion and my findings, so to speak, because I think what is important is in storytelling in general on any level is creating 
expectations and creating promises for your story and delivering on those promises. So if you're saying at the beginning, the first act, like this, this, this is the type of show or this is the type of story we're telling and things maybe don't play into that, there should probably be a good reason why that isn't the case. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to get that angry reaction from people. That is something that I've learned a lot when it comes to my background in terms of writing is you have to fall within specific tropes. Otherwise, you risk people getting very upset, very angry that they wasted their time on your thing. And I think that plays into it. But the other part of me, the 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 more creative side and less quantitative side of me is asking myself audiences can you just like go to a thing and just be surprised for once can't you just go to a thing and be okay with the fact that you can't predict all of the beats of the story be okay with the fact that things don't turn out exactly like you want it to and it's just like come on like get over it please get over it let yourself be surprised I will, here's my, I don't know if it's a counterpoint, a parallel point to what you're saying. I look at things like Halo or Cowboy Bebop, where there is a quality gap between even what I expected and what I got. So I always give adaptations like some runway, right? You've got to have some leeway, some runway, because everything that happened in a book, story, video game just cannot fit it's not possible to fit a 40-hour narrative video game into a film so i have to give you that where i see you make cuts and changes that just make the story i will say subjectively worse subjectively yeah whatever at that point i'm going to start beating you over the head with the original work and so even even if it's it doesn't matter if it's a bait and switch to me, I always see it as what is the gap in quality between the thing that got me there to begin with because it's an adaptation and what you gave me. So I'm going to lean into Harry Potter a bit for a couple of reasons. One, um, I remember seeing Harry Potter with a friend of mine and he was the most infuriating person in the world to see Harry Potter with. Literally every single change that was made from the book, he would do this in the theater. visually physically in theater he would just gesticulate wildly and angrily as it was happening and afterwards i was like dude it's an adaptation it can't all be the same he's like no but if it's not the same it needs to be better or if it's if it's better the way it was it should be the same i'm like come on bro like and this is another problem i feel like is that we live in a world that is more concerned with what happens than how it happens or why and I always remember also digging further into the Harry Potter realm of things, this documentary on J.K. Rowling when she was finishing Deathly Hallows. And I remember she mentioned, she's like, yeah, I know there's going to be some people who are upset because the things that they wanted to happen haven't happened. And I'm just like, that's the wrong way to take in stories and to be like, this thing I want to happen. And if it doesn't happen, shit story. That is, but she's right. for me, the wrong way to consume media. Like we live in a world where it's all about what and it's not about how fans get angry when things they want to happen don't happen and even if that thing that they wanted can neglect themes of the story it can neglect character arcs they don't take into account that stuff it's just i want this thing to happen because logically it makes sense 
and it annoys me. And I think this whole thing is an extension of that. Granted, I understand there's a discrepancy between what I'm saying here and my thing that I said before, which is that I understand the need to set expectations and to deliver on promises that you said you were going to deliver on, even if it was implied. But still, that's kind of that's kind of how I feel. I want I like things to be judged based on what the they are, not on what you want them to be. And if I look back on Scott Pilgrim takes off, I'm like, what did it try to do? Did it succeed on that level? So it's almost like you have to, after you're done consuming a media, take a step back and be like, all right, what did people want from that, or what did they try to do with that? Did it succeed? And if that's the case, you know, I'll judge it based on that as best as I can. Everyone has bias. And even I do, of course, but that's where I'm, that's what I think. What about you, Jones? I feel about the same. Um, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about other adaptations. I, I just think we live in a society where people are just very me, me, me about the adaptation. We have gone from just being happy that we were getting an, an adaptation to now being like, no, no, this motherfucker needs to be chapter and verse of the thing that I, got I was my thinking- ass in the seat. What? I was thinking about that in like the 20, like in the 1990s. Remember whenever there was a book adaptation, you're just like, it's not going to be good, but we should just be grateful that it exists. Yeah. Like that, that's the mentality I had whenever there was a book adaptation. Flash forward to like the 20, early 2010s to mid 2010s when they were doing the YA adaptation. And I was like, everything is faithful. It's like almost beat for beat from the book. Complete difference. Chapter and verse. Um, and so, I, you know, it is. It is weird because as I get older, I care less. Like I want to just see something that is good. And so it just bothers me less and less that it's not exactly the thing that I want it to be. I just want it to be good. Um, so that's kind of where I where I sit now. All right. So I guess the conclusion that we've come to is no. Scott Pilgrim is not just woke for woke's sake. I think it genuinely has something different to say. I think it has a different story to tell, and it also has a fun little way of interacting with all of its previous media iterations in a way that no other franchise really can. I think that's so cool. So, I mean, yeah, back to my A-, Scott Pilgrim. You get an A-, and I think people should, with the understanding, you know, that there is some... I get why some people were kind of initially upset, but after that initial flare-up, if they can just take a second to step back and appreciate the show for what it is, I think that's a good thing. And I think we should be more receptive to that most receptive to that going forward. Um, anything else that you want to say about this, Jonesy? I'm going to take my last couple of seconds and throw out the correct definition of woke for all the people who are like using it for things that they don't like. It just means just an awareness of social justice issues. And it drives me nuts when people are like, oh, I hate this woke nonsense. Like, listen, bro. It is not a word that just means something you don't like. That's basically it. what it means for a lot of people is anything that doesn't star a straight white male. Did I tell you legitimately? I don't know if I said this. I have I have someone that I know and I had met them for the first time and they said the Batman, the one with Pattinson was woke and they just couldn't get through it. And I was like, I'm oh, I'm done. With was it because person. of uh selena kyle was that they, the reason? they or was gave it because... no further explanation as to why and i was like i'm out i can't i can't know you <laughs> okay then on that note go ahead on that and do note, your thing, jonesy if you like what you heard do all the socials like rate comment subscribe share we would definitely appreciate it 
Also, LRM has great stuff on the website as well as the Genreverse Podcast Network on YouTube. Should we announce the break? Are we taking a break? Should we, should we say we're taking yeah, a break? Yeah, we're taking a break. The show is going to be gone for the holiday Happy season. Holidays. It's going to be kaput. It's going to be exploded. And we're going to come back presumably stronger than ever uh, early next year with potentially a new name. I don't know. Don't spo- spoilers. We'll spoilers. No, because I want to make sure that we set expectations. Otherwise, all five of our fans are going to be like, wait a second. I thought this was Breaking Geek. Why isn't it Breaking Geek? It's, it may not be that. So It's going to be something different. It's going to be something different. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing you back in the new year. Other than that, hasta lasagna. Don't get any on you. We'll catch you in the new year. Bye.